Hi, I'm Lauren. My pronouns are she, her, and this is Demyth Turns the Page, our special episode where we rescue those important to us, we learn who we can and can't trust, and I speak to my amazing guest, Lexi Ryan, about her duology, These Hollow Vows. The king was right about one thing. I am a great thief. I can steal just about anything. But a fairy prince's heart? I wouldn't know where to start. Hi, Lexi, and thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Can you please tell our listeners a little bit about yourself who might not have heard of you before? Well, my name's Lexi Ryan, and I am now the number one New York Times bestselling author, thank you readers, of um, young adult fantasy. Um, my These Hollow Vows series is an action-packed, like we call it upper or mature YA um, series about a 17-year-old girl whose sister is sold to a wicked fairy king, and she goes to the realm of fairy to get her back and makes a deal with the king. She says, you know, how can I get my sister back? And he makes a deal with her that she has to steal some relics from the enemy court, and she poses as a potential bride for a prince in order to do that. So um, before I wrote those books, so this is like the fun new part of my career, but before I wrote this duology, um, I wrote contemporary romance, and that's probably what I was best known for. I have written contemporary romance uh, since 2012 and really enjoyed that. Before that, I wrote some paranormal romance with a small press. So my foray into YA fantasy is definitely a new thing, but a much welcome addition to my career. I've had a lot of fun with it and I really, I really love doing both, honestly. And where did the idea for these come from? Because you've written romance before and there's romance in these, but they're not full on romance. Yeah, they're definitely, they're both. I, 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 you know, depending on who you talk to, some people think the romance balances out the the fantasy or action part of the story and some people think that it's more of a secondary plot line but for me it was kind of a I was writing something for myself honestly I was at a point in my life where I was looking around the world and seeing lots of frustrating <laughs> um big events going on and terrible things happening that I had no control over and while I absolutely adore romance and promising my readers uh, that happy ending over and over, I needed to like hurt some bad guys. Like I needed to swing some swords and make some magic happen and uh, kind of fell down a fantasy rabbit hole. And it wasn't that I hadn't read fantasy before, but I certainly hadn't done the deep dive uh, that I did in 2018. Like I, you couldn't you couldn't get me out. Like, I was just like, no, I need more. I need more. I need more. And as most writers do, when we become obsessed with things, then we want to write them. So I need more turned into, well, now I really want to write this. And how can I write this? How can I make this work? Um, 
and I kind of just went on this journey with Brie. Like I was angry and I was frustrated and I kind of needed to like be by her side as she walked through this world that she believed gave her no reason to hope and nothing to believe was, you know, she believed nothing was good or worth hoping for. And I needed to be like right there with her while she learned that maybe, maybe there was still some, some good left other than just her sister. I really love the UK covers because they're quite dark and a bit graphic and they really, really scream fantasy to me, like kind of dark fantasy. But I really, really like how Brie looks on the US covers with the red hair. She stands out so much and you can see that she's the main character and like the men in the story are like secondary to her. Yeah, I love both. I feel like I won the cover lottery repeatedly with these books. Um, and what's fun is now I have, you know, my foreign editions coming out. And uh, of note, my German covers. Oh, if you haven't seen them, you should look them up. They are stunning. So just over and over again, I've gotten so lucky with these covers. Just different takes on the book and representing the book but I love them all I really I'm like not even giving lip service like oh good author no like I sincerely have just been so pleased what would you have done if you'd got a cover that you hadn't liked I'm really really bad about that (laughs) I mean I'll push back a little I'll be like okay here are my issues with it but generally I'm just not I'm the words girl, I'm the story girl, right? So my romance novels are indie published. So I'm not working with a traditional publisher with those. So I contract out my covers. I pay cover designers and pay photographers. And when my cover designers come back with something that I don't like, sometimes I'm like, okay, is it me? Is it, do I not understand what's happening here and I really second guess myself because I'm just not I don't feel like that's one of my strengths so my first instinct is to run it by my friends (laughs) who who I feel like are just better at that kind of thing than me and who are brutally honest you know like they want to see me succeed so if they're like oh that is doing you no favors or no that's going to capture what you want And honestly, I've had it happen both ways where I've had covers that I'm like, I really don't like this. And they've been like, oh, yep, you're right. You need to push back. And I've had covers where I'm like, I I don't like this. And they're like, well, I mean, maybe this tiny thing could be changed, but I think it's great for these reasons. So, you know, I, I tend to not like really trust my judgment. That maybe sounds bad to say, but I just... I don't feel like it's my strength, which is why when a publisher sends me a cover and I immediately love it, it's like a relief to me. I'm like, because if they send me one and I don't love it, I don't feel like I have the eye that I'm not really my strength to be able to say, here's what I want instead. Like, because they do ask you, like at the beginning of the process, what do you picture for a cover? And so I'm all over the place. I'm like, well, here are some covers that I love, but maybe I love X, Y, and Z, but, you know, maybe that's been overdone. And I love this, but I don't know if that is a good, you know, I don't know if I'm helpful at all. <laughs> so um, it's, it's such a 
relief when they send you something and you're like, yes, yes, that is fantastic. <laughs> because I just know if I love it, um, but I'm not great at directing the train. <laughs> One thing that I love about fantasy books is when we have maps in the books. So I love that you can see the different courts and lands in the book. It's so visual for for readers to kind of picture everything. So it made me very excited that you had that in in your books. I don't know if you know, but um, the map in this duology was created by my brother. And um, so he sat down with me. My brother sat down with me um, after I drafted these hollow vows. And I was like, I, I want you to draw the map for this series. And uh, he started asking me all these questions. I, you would be shocked how many I did not have the answer to. You'd be like, <laughs> oh, well, like, what, what is to the east of this palace. I'm like, well, I mean, I know it. So I described these scenes like, oh, well, she le- when she leaves the palace, I know the sun's setting here and this is happening and she goes into this place. And, but I couldn't tell you, I never stepped back and thought of it as like from that overarching map view, like that's not the way my mind works. So it was so neat to have him ask me these questions to force me to think of it that way. And then he pulled it all together. And then thankfully he did that before I got my first revision letter so I could go through the book and make sure that everything matched up, right? So uh, it was really cool though, because then seeing the map he'd created I kind of saw things differently you know and and that really like unlocked a lot of things for book two and and seeing the world through that vantage point rather than my like closer vantage point that I usually write from and you dedicate the second book to him which is so cute yes (laughs) he's I feel like I owe a lot to him for that So can you talk to our listeners a little bit about who the Seelie and the Unseelie are, if they haven't heard of them? Because I know they're not an idea that you've created because I've read about them in books since my late teenage years and they probably existed as an idea before that even. Yeah, absolutely. So in both Scottish and Irish mythology, but I think primarily Scottish, there, when when you talk about fairies, there's this idea that there are the Seelie and the Unseelie fairies, and they're both bad, right? Like they're both, they're both wicked, but the Unseelie fairies are like the wicked of the wicked. Like the Seelie might trick you because they think it's fun to trick you, and they get they get a kick out of it, but the Unseelie fairies get a kick out of like they'll cause you pain because your pain delights them, right? In legend. So um, obviously many authors have had fun playing with that, you know, like, well, what does it mean to, because rarely do these labels that people, groups of people or groups of uh, 
in history get put on them actually fairly describe the group. So to go in and explore, well, if there really are fae, and there really are Seelie and Unseelie fae, where do those labels come from? And what are they really like? And the idea that one is considered good and what is considered uh, maybe a little nastier and that the, the that these legends are told to the humans over and over and over again maybe to manipulate them maybe to keep them safe you don't really know Bree the protagonist is pretty sure that none of them can be trusted you know she's like eh, don't really care doesn't matter to me whether they're sealy or unsealy they're all fairies you know like I'm not I'm not interested so yeah I definitely wanted to play with that you know when I was talking to my brother Aaron who did the map about it he was like well no one calls themselves un anything right like we don't think of ourselves as un something and I really like that because that's true for the most part and so I thought for what reason would a group of people choose to continue to hold that label? And of course, the Unseelie in my books have a lot of other labels too. They're the Shadow Fae, you know, um, but they're still the Unseelie Court because they're in direct opposition to the Seelie Court. So um, I had a lot of I had a lot of fun looking at kind of the general legends, which of course none of them have a this is the story <laughs> they all have like a thousand variations but just looking at the legends and then twisting it in my own way and then thinking about what it would be like to be like inside that which is always that always inspires me in any kind of writing I definitely feel like on the surface for a lot of I don't want to say like characters in books that it's silly good unsealy bad like jazz she actually says, Brie, this is the Seely Court, the good fairies, the fairies mm-hmm. of light and joy. Mm-hmm. But it's it's just so much more complicated, isn't it? Right, right. Because rarely are things so simple. Right? Like it it'd be it'd be really nice if um well, I'll just I'll I'll use this example. I have a friend who has made a foray. <laughs> into the dating world again she's recently gotten a divorce and she's dating again and she's had some bad experiences and she's talking to me about this guy that she's she's really really liked but he's a bad seed right and she's like yeah but this this and this all these good things about him and I'm like it's not so simple like no one is wholly good or wholly bad. Like it would be so much easier to walk around the world and be like, I absolutely can trust you because you're 100% trustworthy and 100% good. I absolutely can't trust you because you're 100% bad. Like this person who was very much bad for her and very much not someone she wants in her life. I clearly have opinions, <laughs> but, but like, like not someone she wants in her life. And, does not treat her right. But yeah, he also has good qualities. He also has moments where he makes her feel good. 
he also has times in his life where he's chosen to do good deeds. He's not 100% bad, but nobody is. I mean, I really, I really don't think that there are many people in this world that are 100% evil. And so we like to paint it that way. I mean, it would, it makes it a lot easier, right? And I think that we do that politically to sway people to our side. Like, I don't trust you to support my cause if you know all of the nuances of the issues and all the nuances of my opponent. So I'm just going to paint my opponent as this evil, bad person. I'm just going to paint these issues in black and white rather than explaining and discussing all the nuances of the issues. So it sounds kind of like boring and like, oh, so she talks poli sci in these books. <laughs> I hope I do it in a fun way, but like I'm like playing with those ideas in these books because man, that annoys me. People are smart enough to handle this, but over and over again, we are manipulated to try, you know, people try to make us just focus on good or bad, black and white. And it's like, rarely, rarely is it that simple. It's easy though. It's easy not to think about nuance and just take the black or white simple answer. Right, right. Oh, well, I mean, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm guilty of it myself, right? Like the night before, I go cast my ballot. I'm going to download a sample ballot. And when I don't know, oh man, I can't find anything about these candidates. It's very easy to just be like, well, bottom line, this one falls in line with this party that I tend to lean toward this one. Right. It's that's easy. And that's, that's kind of the way we've set up the system. And, and the people in power in these books who are, getting more power by making the humans believe these legends you know they're 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 taking advantage of it and uh, i i just see that you know around me like not not just in fairy tales <laughs> i see that happening um and it's frustrating so i think Bree's frustrated by it too maybe we're frustrated together <laughs> Why do you think the idea of the Seelie catches people's imagination so much? I mean, in the fictional worlds, like the one that you've created, like Jazz seems to just love this romantic idea of the Seelie. Well, it's the idea of all of, of fairies and all the good stuff all the fun and the good magic, you know, like, it's like, oh, let's live in a fairy tale, but not like Brothers Grimm and all the like scary stuff, but like all only the good side and the light and the, the um, prosperity they can bring to your life and the fun that they can make you experience. And it's a dream, right? They, they represent the dream if that fictional idea that is also like a work of fiction within the book were really a fair representation of what they were. Um, like we love the idea. That's why, I mean, anytime people write about the Fae, you, uh, 
you see humans getting tricked by the duped by the fae over and over again because humans want to believe they want this thing that they think they see or this thing that they want to see um you know there are all the tales of the midwife being called to the castle and then you know she's caring for the baby and accidentally like wipes her eyes and with some magical ointment and suddenly she realizes she's in like this horrible cave and you know so you see these tales over and over again where like she's being led to believe she's in this magical beautiful place but she's actually in this horrible place so i feel like the seely represent that like the carefree beautiful magic like when we make when we're kids and we make fairy circles out in the garden like that's the the fun fairies that we want to play with and believe in nobody is like oh i want to call a wicked fairy to my house who's gonna like make me stub my toe because he thinks it's funny that i'm in pain like (laughs) people aren't like after that when brie first goes into the seely world and she's at the dance i can see why people like it because they just want to have fun and they're also complimentary towards her it's like i i could see myself getting sucked into it yeah i mean and and she's had a little wine she's had a little a little fairy wine um oh no not that night that night she hasn't had fairy wine she's just dancing right yep she's just dancing it's been a minute she's just dancing and so like they're you know the just the the magic of the dance has carried her away and and she's hours past and she's like doesn't even realize it's gotten away from her um so yeah she totally gets sucked in and then it's the question of is that is that a good thing losing control like that and losing track of your own free will like that is that a good thing is that something that you want or is that is that something you welcome it's certainly not something she was looking for so but yeah, you can see how it could seems like fun, right? Unless that's not what you want. So we've got Brie, our main character, who we've mentioned, and we have her sister Jazz, and they live with their aunt. So let's, if we sort of step back a bit, and right. so they live with their aunt and really horrible cousins, and it feels like quite a Cinderella type situation. Why are they actually indebted to her in the first place? So the world um, that I set up in. Jazz and Bree's world. They live in a fictional realm called Elora, which is a bit of a dystopian realm where um, these children can be made to sign contracts just to uh, be cared for. So Jazz and Bree, their father died in a fire when they were younger, and then their mother left for fairy and never came back years ago. And so they needed somewhere to live. And so their uncle took them in. And then when he died, their uncle's wife, their aunt, made them sign this contract. Hey, you can keep living here, but you have to sign this contract. And the contract was full of terribly unfair terms. You know, like if you miss a payment, you know, terrible compound interest, horrible penalties that essentially like these little kids are just doomed to fall behind and be indebted forever. And um, there would have been 
they would have just been constantly working to climb out of a, a deepening and deepening debt. And it was unfair, but you know from the opening scene when Bree sees these stacks of contracts when she's stealing from somebody, um, <laughs> that this is a world that's full of these kinds of unfair contracts, these kinds of really they're just taking advantage of people and taking advantage of children um, and not just children, adults too, but people who have no other choice and nowhere else to turn. And as a result, people are forced to sell themselves to the Fae because they have no other way out of these impossible contracts. Right. And in, in this case, um, and this is early enough in the book that I don't find it to be a spoiler in this case, it was part of the description instead of, Jazz selling herself to the Fae. Jazz's aunt, who owns the contract on Jazz, says, you know what? I'm sick of this. You guys are never going to pay this back. And she sells Jazzalyn to um, a fairy to pay back the contract. And Brie, of course, is protective big sister, and she's not having it. Brie actually wonders why the Seelie would need to buy people or pay for people like that, because they can just use glamours and magic to just get what they wanted. So why do you think the fairies would have actually paid? Um, I mean, that's a really good question that um, is a <laughs> spoiler. We can circle back to it later when we get to the spoiler part of the chat. We can. Yeah. So Brie wants to go and rescue Jazz from whoever, yeah, whichever Steely has taken her. She doesn't know. And she asks a goblin for help. And it's like her aunt's house goblin, who's not really owned by her aunt. He just kind of hangs out there. And he wants payment for helping her. And in your book, goblins want to be paid in hair or teeth or nails. And is that something you, that you've come across before? Because I, it's a new idea to me. Um, I, I always came across, I always, I don't know, it was just like, Growing up, we were always, I guess it was just like in the um, urban legend, maybe, like that we were always told to be careful who you gave your hair to. Um, were you told, was that just, just me? <laughs> <laughs> be careful who you give your hair to. You guys are going to think I'm so weird. My brother dated a witch when he was in high school, and I chopped off all my hair around then. And I, like, I had really long hair, and I cut it to my shoulders, and I gave her the braid that chopped off and I just remember I don't even remember who somebody a friend being horrified because I'd given a witch my hair you know I liked I liked that idea that you know they found either some use for these things we don't really know what or that they had some weird fetish for these things we don't really know what um because they're these goblins are just like a bit of a mystery you know like they have their own community they're their own system within the fairy realm like they don't really they have their own priorities and they're their own thing and a lot of goblin questions don't ever really get answered but yeah a lot of that just comes from like what's creepy <laughs> And that idea of, like, be careful who you give, like, your hair to or, like, you know, old legends of, like, um, 
which is needing your fingernail clippings or your hair or an eyelash. <laughs> I would love to know what they did with those things. <laughs> I am curious. What's fun is I'm I'm writing a, a, another book in this world now and I get to play a little bit with uh, one, not the only, but one of the ways that the goblins may use or redistribute the hair. So that's kind of fun. I'm guessing it's not making little goblin wigs. <laughs> not yet, but you know, maybe I'll use that too. I don't think giving a goblin some of my split ends would be the worst thing. But a, a <laughs> goblin would not want my hair. It's far too far too damaged from like product and dye and hair straighteners and stuff like that. <laughs> so they definitely wouldn't want it. And you do set up kind of a potential romance with someone for Brie. It's kind of like mysterious for a major's apprentice next door. Mm. And he's going away and he wants her to wait for him. And I was like, oh, her and Sebastian, that's really cute. And I was, I was kind of rooting for him. And then the fact that they're now separated because she has to go off to, to the Fey world is quite... Oh, that was quite sad. Yeah. I liked I, him. You know, he really wants to keep her safe. You know, like he knows before Jazz leaves, you know, they're talking about should they go to Fairy to this ball to see if they can track down their mother. And he really doesn't want her to go because he really wants to keep her safe. And yeah, he, he really he cares. He's a sweet boy. He is. The last thing I sort of want to touch on before we get into spoilers, because I'm I'm itching to talk spoilers now. Brie meets someone on her way into into the Seely Kingdom, and she's not looking her best. But this person helps her, sort of makes her up a little bit. And I thought Brie trusted her way too easily. It's like for someone who's not had a great life, who was kind of screwed over by her aunt who knows what people are like. You're trusting this this random stranger a bit too easily. She really does. Um, and I think um, considering the fact that she, she is so jaded and so untrusting in general, and I think the only reason that she trusts Preetha when she meets her in that long line is because of all of her assumptions about all of those girls in that line. She thinks that they are all foolish human girls who just want to marry a fairy prince. And she's making all of these kind of unfair. I mean, she's, she's, I think she's kind of being a little unfair because these girls are all coming from the same kind of situation she is, right? Where like, Maybe the world's set up a little against them. Maybe they can't get ahead. Maybe like the best thing for them would be to like have a magical thing happen where they get to marry a fairy prince. Um, but she just thinks that they're all fools. And I think the only reason that she trusts Preetha to help her, you know, not have dirt streaks on her face because she's been running from the police you know and and you know make her dress look nice is because she assumes that this girl is like everybody else and and she's just she's just there to impress a prince and um and thinks that you know she's kind of 
simple in that way. Um, and little does she know that, you know, there's a lot more to her than that. This is the point where I go into spoilers with Lexi about These Hollow Vows, book one. So if you haven't read the book, then it's best to stay away from the secrets of the Seelie Court. I love Brie so much. And so I c- across the two books, there are two things that she did that I really disagreed with. And trusting Preetha so easily. Although she did need her help, I think, to get in. Because she yep. might not have done otherwise. But just how easily she trusted her. Mm, I, not 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 her smartest moment. Uh, but mostly I'll hear very little bad said against Brie because I, even when she was doing things and her behaviour was a bit hypocritical at points, it's like, oh no, I actually do really like you. So <laughs> I've got, I've got your back. Sebastian, I have to, let's just get this out there. Sebastian is the, the Seely Prince, like what the actual, <gasps> I was, I was shocked by that. I did not see that coming. See, and that was one of those spoilers that I didn't know how to handle it when we were promoting the book because it was it was so fun when people didn't see it coming, but it was one of those things that I kind of assumed most readers would know it was coming, right? So, cuz there are those there are those twists that you kind of foreshadow and set up that you want the reader to be like, "Oh yeah, Yep, yep, I knew it, I knew it. And then there are the ones that you want them to be blindsided by. And that was one I just kind of thought that, you know, readers read a lot of these kind of books and they're used to certain conventions. And I just thought readers were going to be like, yep, I knew it. And that wasn't really the case. I'd say maybe like 50-50, maybe two-thirds, I don't know. And so when we were trying to pick, you know, quotes for the inside of the book and teasers for to promote it, it was really tough because when it Colin Sebastian, if it was clear he was the prince, you know, it was really tough on how to do it because suddenly this was a spoiler. I, I, yeah, I didn't see it coming. So I love that. I wish I would have had more faith in myself. <laughs> <laughs> I don't get twists in books like this very often, but I, I think it means I get to enjoy books in a different way. So I don't either. I, I tried to explain to my husband, you know, when we watch movies and read books, the same books and stuff, I was like, I don't try. Like, there's no part of my mind that's like trying to figure out the twist. Like, I just want it to come at me. I just want to experience it organically. I'm not like stopping and being like, what do I think is going to happen? You know, sometimes you're like, yeah, I kind of thought so. But yeah, I don't try to figure them out. So I just want it to, want it to roll at me as it will. We did an interview with someone yesterday and they had, I didn't think it was a twist, but my co-host is really good at getting twists. And she was like, but how did you not see it? Because there's this and this and this and this. I was like, okay, now I don't get why I didn't get it because you're now (laughs) listing all of the evidence, but I didn't put those things together in that way. So yes, I was very shocked. Well, as a reader, I like when I don't think about it ahead of time, but after I find out, then I'm like, oh, and she gave us this and this and this and this. And I, but it, I didn't think about it. I didn't see it coming. It wasn't like enough that I was like hit over the head. But in retrospect, I can see that I had all of this laid out for me. As a reader, I really like that. But And I felt bad for her because she, 
she clearly, I would say she was in love with Sebastian back in like normal mortal world. And to feel so betrayed that he'd kept this from her, I I totally understand. Yeah, I I think why she was so upset. I agree. I think that um, she felt completely betrayed, and it totally shook everything she thought she understood about him, everything she thought she knew about him, um, and she had to question what their relationship really was who he really was you know he's been saying he was one thing all these years and all this time he wasn't this poor mage's apprentice he was the steely prince he was just away learning human magic why and it's like she doesn't believe it at first yeah a little bit of a little bit of denial some stages of grief i think and he kisses her. He kisses her and then she finds out. That's not cool. <laughs> I think he's still hoping he's gonna he's gonna get away. Like she's gonna forgive him. He's still hoping that he hasn't lost her forever, you know, because of his deceit. Oh, Sebastian. You know, like he doesn't help himself. I know a lot of people love to he a lot of people love to hate on him, but he really is a in my mind, a beautifully complex character. He was dealt a really crappy hand and had to make some really tough choices between, you know, some his loyalties were split, you know, between Bree and his mom. And, um, you know, he did his best, but he screwed it up. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> he screwed it up, but... I I do feel sorry. It's that moment as well when she thinks back to what the to what King Mordia said to her. Like when you meet Prince Ronan, remember that you need him. Hold his trust. And she kind of thinks, ah, actually, he didn't tell me to earn his trust. He told me to hold it. And she's like, well, he yeah. knew. I guess at that point, it becomes very obvious the kind of game that she's playing now. Yeah, and how much. kind of how out of her league she is right like how much is she a pawn in their little game right like they pulled her here they took her sister sebastian knew who he was this whole time and didn't tell her the truth and had all this power this whole time and the king is sending her on this mission and somehow knows about her history with sebastian and you know like she realizes like she is she's part of a bigger game and only has so much of her own agency her own free will at this point but she needs to do what she needs to do to save her sister and that is hard and fast her goal like she holds steady on that like that is her her north star the first thing that she has to do is steal a she has to steal an item for for the king and she kind of needs Sebastian's trust to do that. So the first item is it kind of reminded me of the mirror from Beauty and the Beast where it, when you look into it it shows you what you really want to see. Yeah. Why a mirror? 
as the first thing? So I needed behind the writer's curtain here. Are you ready to go? I might kill some of the magic. I needed time. I needed her to not be frantic to get to her sister, because if it were me, I would be frantic to get to my sister. So I needed to give her a reason to think that her sister was okay. While all this was going on, while everything was taking way longer than she it was still, she was impatient. She still wanted things to be going faster. Right. Mm. But I needed time and I needed her to not be so distracted by, is my sister okay? I mean, it's a magical mirror. It's a relic. It belongs to the unseelie court. It's important to them. I could give you all the like page level reasons, but behind the curtain as a writer, I needed her to have faith misplaced as it was that her sister was comfortable, that she was well cared for, that she wasn't lonely, that she believed that Brie was coming for her. So yeah, lots of levels there, but I also, you know, was able to use that mirror in other ways I could I could get Brie in trouble with it which was fun <laughs> you know like you know, she still has this like where is my mom thing right like where's my mom where, where is she and then she sees her in the mirror and she sees her in this place that she knows in Sealy in the Sealy court like oh well I'm just gonna go there and see her right except but she's not there. She just doesn't realize that this mirror is showing her what she wishes were true. Um, and yeah, behind the curtain as a writer, it's like, ah, yes, I get to get you in trouble, which is very convenient for me <laughs> because then I can just knock down the dominoes because if I get you in trouble, then somebody has to save you. And if somebody has to save you, then, you know, just keep them falling. They say, get your character up at a tree and throw apples at him. <laughs> at what point was Sebastian suspicious of her? Because he seemed really suspicious really quickly and kind of wanted that reassurance from her. I think that he was suspicious very early on, but he had his own game to play. And he needed her there. And he needed to not rock the boat too much, right? So he was willing to play along to play her game just like she was playing his game in order to have that time he needed with her because again he knew she had feelings for him back in Alora, back in the human realm and he needed her to trust him to love him and to be willing to share eventually that bond with him that the fairies hold so dear so yeah I don't know if you want to go there yet no not yet <laughs> we'll, get there. we'll get there so I'm just sticking to the page on 100 and page 196 where is it there we go there's a they, ha- right. they have that really cute moment with the ice cream where he gives her the ice cream and mm-hmm. I loved that that little sweet moment there's a point in her he says to her that he would help. Like, as soon as I had the power, I would help. 
And then her inner monologue sort of says, I want to point out that he's a prince to ask why he didn't help us sooner. But given all he's done for me, that seems like the question of an ungrateful brat. I was like, no, I think the exact same thing. Why did he not do that? It's like, no, you don't sound ungrateful at all. If he loves you like he's saying, why would he not do that? Right. And, you know, in the second book, she kind of circles back to that too. Like, why didn't you help me sooner? And everything comes back to his controlling mother, right? But I think that that's like under the surface. It like just roils under the surface of their relationship. Like she's not voicing it yet. But sometimes it's the things we don't say out loud that like, cause more discontent in our relationships than the things we do, right? Like, be almost better to say it out loud and get it out there and deal with it. But, you know, this ice cream scene, I don't know. This is a throwback for my OG romance readers. I thought when I wrote this, I thought of A Night in Shining Armor by Jude Devereaux. Old school, old school, old school. There's a scene... (laughs) where she gives him ice cream and um, he's like from the old world. So it's new to him and it's like amazing. Um, Anyway, it's, that was what I was thinking of. (laughs) This is not as hot as that scene, but that's what I was thinking of when I wrote the scene. Just, Just a little throwback for anyone who's an OG romance reader. He did win me over a tiny bit with the ice cream when he gave it to her. You know, it's the fastest way to my heart. Ice cream. That's probably what I was thinking. What can this guy do to make it right with her? Ice cream. <laughs> we spoke just now about how he, about him being suspicious of her motives. Because he needs, he wants to bond with her. I don't think he realistically gives her enough time considering the betrayal. I don't think he gives her enough time. I feel like he really pushes. And there's the moment where he says, oh, my mum says I have to pick a wife by X time. I think, I don't think she's saying that. I think you're saying, I didn't think it at the time. I believed it at the time. But in hindsight, I think he's making that up. He put pressure on her. I mean, she definitely hadn't had enough time. And um, he he's feeling pressure from his mom, too. Um, how much of that is directly stated pressure is up for debate. But, um, yeah, like, she she hasn't had enough time. But he's scared, right? Like, he's suspicious that it's not working. (laughs) He's suspicious that she's got something else going on. And uh, I don't think at this point he, no, at this point he doesn't know for sure, but he's, he's got his doubts about his abilities to win her over. And yeah, he's really hopeful that he can still make this work. Um, kind of you know playing on her guilt a little bit you know like 
she doesn't want to use him and he knows that i think if he'd given her more time she'd have come (laughs) around of her own accord she might have i mean as it was it was um fear that got her there right I also don't believe he was helping look for her sister. I have my doubts about that. <laughs> I don't know. I don't, I'm not, he's not my favourite person, as you um, as you can see. <laughs> so the second item that she has to steal is a book of spells. Is there a particular reason that you picked that as a second object yeah i mean i wanted it to be something that it was would be difficult to find and i wanted it to be something that would hold great value to a a magical race and i thought what better than a book of spells and I I just loved the idea of this book being able to shapeshift. My friend Emily actually mentioned it first. Like, oh, well, what if it could be like one day, once it was a little boy for just a day? And I was like, oh, my gosh. And so she'd already mentioned that. And I was like, I love that idea. But then I remembered that in the Fever series, Karen Marie Moaning's Fever series, if you haven't read it, it's adult fantasy but it's so good so good you guys it's very sealy and unsealy set in the modern world ish they're chasing down a book that can sometimes change form now i'm doubting myself anyway so i loved that idea i loved the idea of the library pixies and i wanted to see them like i mean i would love to see some real life library pixies me too they are invited into my library many times on page 313 Bree is well it actually it's a little bit before that but this is kind of the sort of area I have in my notes but Bree gets upset because she knows that Sebastian is with another woman and she happens to bump into his mm. sort of BFF Rianne, I'm assuming you pronounce it. Yeah, I, I say Rianne, but either way, it's fine. Okay, Rianne, who is really up in their business. He knows everything. Mm-hmm. And he drugs her so that she would would bond with Sebastian. I think that's what he was hoping. He's like, hey, you know what you should do? You know how you could make this right? You like to think he's being a good wingman, but I never really liked him. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, like their childhood friends. He just, he's hes there trying to help out his boy, I guess. <laughs> mm. Mm. Nothing like, you know, <laughs> being heartbroken because you just saw the guy you're into with somebody else and... Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I felt bad for her at that moment. <laughs> I felt really bad for her. 
It ended okay though. It we haven't we haven't touched on Finn at all. So I feel like sort of now we should because he is someone who is there and she obviously fancies him. Like he is hot. We know that much. But <laughs> all we know is there's this kind of physical. She has the emotional attraction to Sebastian, even though he's lied to her. And and a physical attraction to him. And she has this physical attraction to to Finn. But Finn isn't exactly good either. Because the point where he's with someone who's given to him as a tribute and they seem quite quite intimate. And so I assumed, oh, she's there to to sleep with him. And then off page, presumably he sleeps with her and that's the end of it. But then a bit later, we we find out the point of of her actual tribute and just what the deal with the unseelie actually is. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and what, (laughs) what exactly the girl was, you know, she, she wasn't there to give him a, a night of her time. She, She was there to give him, you know, sacrifice her whole life to him. So, Brie, we, you know, we learn a lot in that scene. We learn that there's something more going on. We learn that Brie has some jealousy because she too assumes that they're going to sleep together or something. She's not sure. Um, eventually, Brie finds out about this curse that um, the Seely Queen cursed the Unseely because of her. Um, she was heartbroken by the Unseelie King, Finn's father. And so she cursed the Unseelie um, because Finn's father essentially jilted her for a human. And so the Seelie Queens cursed the Unseelie um, to a mortal lifespan and mortality. Um, and the only way, and, and when they use magic is life, life is magic, right? Like that is like the crux of everything in the fairy world. So when they use magic, they're actually using their life, which is not an issue because they're immortal, except if they're mortal, then they're using up their life every time they use magic. So by cursing them to mortality, she's cursing them to not be able to use their magic, to a much shorter life and the only way around it is fairies bond with each other and they can bond with humans with humans it's kind of more of a one-way thing it's not like a mate thing like it's not predestined like you'd see in other things this is like a free will thing a choice thing you choose to bond you have both parties have to make the choice to take the bond and then you are a bonded partner. Well, if a human bonds with an unseelie fairy, then the human dies and the unseelie fairy gets that human's life force. And so like that was the workaround that the queen kind of instilled in the curse. So fairies could continue to have magic. They could continue to use their magic, but... <laughs> She has some bitterness toward humans, obviously. 
So when this human girl was offering herself as tribute, she Finn was sick and he had an infection and his people knew he needed to be able to heal. And without being able to use some magic, he wouldn't be able to heal. And that meant he needed a human girl who was willing to bond with him so that he could take her life force. And so, yeah, that's the crux of the, um, the curse, which is essentially what that whole crew is fighting against in the story. Preetha has a daughter who is unseely and, you know, aging like a human and that freaks her out. Um, Preetha is wild fay herself, so she's not affected by the curse, but obviously scared for her daughter. There's just lots of, it, it expands, it affects people in lots of different ways. But the whole court is affected by this horrible curse that the the Sealy Queen somehow continues to can uh, keep going. And uh, you know, and when Bree finds out about it, you know she was really starting to get sweet on Finn. But when she finds out about it, it really turns her around because she says she realizes, oh my goodness. <laughs> You've taken these human lives, including the life of the woman, the human woman you were engaged to. And, you know, she kind of thinks she, he is a piece of crap and runs into Sebastian's arms. Oh, that's why they want to buy humans, isn't it? That's just, that's just occurred to me. Yeah. Not the Sealy, the Unsealy. Yeah. That's... The Unsealy want to buy humans. That's just occurred to me. And, you know, <laughs> why... Uh... The queen might want human girls around for her son. You can imagine. You can follow that through because he has his own, you know, secret identity. There's a point earlier on after Brie has drunk the the fairy wine where she sees Finn and she talks about these tattoos that he has and how she likes them. And he, he makes a comment. I, th- I think it's something like she doesn't understand them. And then a bit later, she she sees a few more of them and it kind of, the dots connect. Mm-hmm. Oh, that moment's horrible because I was really rooting for her and Finn at that up until then. Yeah, yeah. So like, she's like all strung out on the fairy wine and they're in the shower and he's trying to get her to cool off. And she's like, you know, making comments about his tattoos. And yeah, he's like, don't. You, you wouldn't think that these were so, you wouldn't feel that way if you knew what these were really about. Because part of the curse is they can't talk about it. It's not that he's trying to keep secret. He is un, literally unable to talk about it. And uh, yeah, then when she realizes later that each one of those tattoos symbolizes a life that he's taken, she's disgusted. I mean. Actually, there are three things that she does that I don't agree with. And one of them is that she's <laughs> kind of hard on him. Well, not just him, but she's, I feel like she's very hard on people, things Mm. that they can't talk about. Not things that they're not choosing to, but like Finn can't, he literally cannot talk about it. And I feel like she kind of punishes him because I think if he could tell her, he might have tried. Yeah, she is hard on him, but he almost, when they're in the catacombs together and she has that dagger and he's like, here I am, you know, like he's carrying around quite a bit of guilt as well. And she can't do it. She can't take him out. (laughs) And 
Maybe, maybe to me, that was her. At least she didn't kill him. <laughs> uh, but, uh, I'm glad she didn't kill betrayed. him. Oh, yeah, me too. I think she feels betrayed, even though he can't talk to her. And, and there are reasons he did the things he did. She still feels betrayed by the actions he took both before and after he knew her. Because once again, here's this male she cares for who is not who she thought he was. But it's okay. You don't have to agree with everything she does. I'm cool with that. I agree with most things that she does. though. So three things over two books is not that much. (laughs) We'll get around to the other thing when we get on to the second book. Because it's something in the second book. On page... 400 so we're down to the last item now which is the the uns which is the crown and i was so proud of brie when she played the king in his own game and it's the whole point of the crown has to be back where it should be and she realizes Mm -hmm. that it's on her and she sits down on that throne and yes i was so proud of her yeah she found a way around and I I loved that moment because fairies are known for being so damn clever, right? And that's why they outsmart humans so often is because they're clever with their wording and they're careful with their wording. And humans sometimes don't catch the very careful wording that they use. And so in that moment, she realizes that there's a loophole in the wording that he used that she can take advantage of and she can be the clever one and fulfill her part of their bargain and free her sister without actually giving this awful man the crown that he's after. Male, I should say. He's not human. Oh, so proud of her. I, Yeah, she... Oh, so good. Like the pleasure of seeing that, even though he's fictional, he is so awful. And so, yeah, I was. It's gross. Yeah. And then, and then she, she stabs him. It's like, it's good, but I'm happy that he got to see her sit down on the throne before she stabbed him. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. That was good. So going back to bonding, it's, there are points in the book where you sell it as such a romantic thing. And I think in the right circumstances, it really is. And then you've got the moment where she bonds with Sebastian. I was like, oh, this is really nice. This seems like such a romantic moment. And um, (laughs) the cliffhanger at the end. Until she starts dying. It's great. Well, (laughs) but he had a contingency plan. He was completely prepared for it. He was ready. He knew what was going to happen. Pulled that potion of life right out of his pocket. Here you go, honey. I knew I was killing you today. Take this. So you turn into a fairy and don't die. But I don't think that was that terrible. Yeah, a little, it's a little misleading. A little deceitful. But, you know, what's new? A little bit. <laughs> but when you find yeah, out... Yeah, I mean, he, he never... Never went into that thinking she was going to be dead at the end of the day, right? Like he knew she would in that moment make the choice that she wouldn't have made otherwise. But, but you know, like she, she chose to bond with him. I mean, like, yes, she cared about him very much, 
but she chose to bond with him because she saw what could happen when people were after the crown that was on her head. And it was the only way she knew to get rid of that crown. And she's scared. And so she was like, okay, well, here, let's. I still thought it was a nice moment. (laughs) It was was a nice moment. She was in her pretty, pretty dress and he gave her the pretty necklace and they're on the balcony. Yeah, but maybe not entirely what it should have been either. And then we find out that Sebastian is part on Seely. Oh my God. That's that's the death. That's the dying. Because when you are human and you bond with. Yeah. I didn't twig it until it was. I didn't twig it when she died, even. It didn't connect to that. Oh, you didn't connect it until after she woke up and they explained it. Yeah. Yep. Because I thought maybe there's some kind of fairy magic that maybe something had gone wrong because she's human there's possibilities it's sure so maybe he didn't mention something like there's always it's 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 fate it's trickery but yeah when when she finds out oh i didn't i certainly didn't like him then i certainly didn't like him then My night, my darkness, my power. I couldn't work out why Sebastian gave her the necklace if all he cared about was the crown. So he must have cared about her. He must he have did done. care about her. Yeah, he did. I mean, again, like no one's black and white. Like it's not black and white. Like no one's all good or all bad. And his motives were not 100%. I'm just in this for the crown. Like, he, in a perfect world, Sebastian would have gotten the unsealy crown, the throne, his mother's approval, and Brie by his side. But it's it's not a it's not a perfect world. <laughs> and you pissed her off. Yeah. <laughs> I don't blame her for being pissed off. And I sort of doubted his intentions towards her as well at first when when that happened. Then I mean, with the necklace and finding out that's why she sort of, uh, the fact that he saved her, I was like, well, why did he save her if that's what he cared about? But uh, it was, I think his behavior was very misguided. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think he ever really redeemed himself for me, unfortunately. <laughs> oh, problematic characters. What are we going to do? And it made me wonder as well if the, because there are some points when, I felt like her attitude towards him, certainly for the first part of the book, she wanted him, then she didn't want him, and she wasn't sure, and her feelings seemed very conflicted. Yeah. And I just wondered if the fact that she was bonded to him would have made it even harder for her to make properly informed, rational decisions. Not that love and feelings and lust are necessarily rational, but yeah. She had that separation in like the wild fae, but because of the bond, it still made things right. hard for her. Right. And the distance helps, right? But she could still feel those intense feelings and intense emotions. And um, it was, it was hard. It was hard for her to, 
yeah, she's heartbroken, but she can feel his love and she's heartbroken and she's angry, but she can feel his heartache, you know, and like she cares about him and she knows he's hurting. It's so it's like, man, <laughs> have you ever been like upset with somebody and like you want to, you're like angry and like stewing in your anger and then you realize that they're hurt? And your anger just like goes away because you love them and don't want them to be hurting. <laughs> if ever me and my partner have a disagreement, if he does something that upsets me, he will look at me and be really sad. Like, you know, I didn't mean to upset you. And it's like, yes, and that helps a little bit, but I'm still pissed off. <laughs> and I look at him and he just looks really sad. And it's like, oh. okay, I'll, I'll, I'll get over it a bit quicker because you're upset yeah yeah because she she is angry and she is heartbroken but she does still care about him and she can she can feel what he's feeling and so she knows that it's not fake he does care but man he screwed up (laughs) i absolutely loved misha misha became like my favorite. I love Brie because Brie is is awesome and can pretty much do no wrong. But I also loved Misha so much. I do too. I he uh, he surprised. He took me by surprise. I had other plans for him, but then I fell in love with him, and I was like, okay, well, getting a different kind of story than I planned. So because I really just he was he just flew off the page for me, which is always nice. I like my characters to get a life of their own. And he did, he was at an advantage because he wasn't restricted in what he could and couldn't say. But he seemed like one of the first people that was just straight up honest with her. Yeah. Even when like Finn was coming to to the Wild Fae and he wanted her to be there to talk to them. He's like, I'm not going to make you. You've got a choice. Right. Well, and he comes across as the first person who doesn't have an agenda but he does have an agenda. He's just a little more upfront about it. He's like, hey, like, as much as people like to pretend this isn't a court, I do have a court and I care about it. And if that queen soaks up both the Sealy and the Unsealy courts, my court's in danger. So my agenda is to make sure that doesn't happen. You know, so like, it's not that he doesn't have an agenda. It's just that like, for once, there's somebody who's like straightforward about it. Like, this is, this is what I want. This is what I'm worried about. This is how I think you can help. Like, thank goodness. Thank you for being straight up. She needed that. Like, there's no other way she could have trusted somebody new. I think she really, really respected his honesty as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like they just had, in addition to him being just like, cute and clever and I don't know I just really like him but like they also kind of have this emotional level to their friendship that I just really enjoyed writing and really enjoyed exploring but I think they both need it you know like he's a little lonely she's lonely and heartbroken and and it pleases me that it didn't become romantic she had enough of that (laughs) yeah definitely (laughs) definitely and I kind of liked a bit that happened later when he said I value your friendship too much to take you into my bed as much as I think that would be fun yeah like yeah we'd have a good time but like this is better 
I thought that was really good. The last thing that she did that I didn't like. So we meet a character called Juliana and she feels a lot of jealousy towards Juliana. You might be laughing because you know the thing that she did that I didn't like. And I have an oh, excuse already. <laughs> I know what you're gonna say. The hair. She didn't do it. Her shadow self. No. Did it. <laughs> no, I don't get having it. No. It wasn't her. She hadn't learned to control her shadow self yet. It wasn't her. It's it's she's totally she had she had to learn to control her shadow self still. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah, but there's a point where she is looking at her and looking at the hair, and she is jealous, and she doesn't like She's so the fact that Juliana it's so has not the hair. Okay. So I mean, I, I'm with you on this one. It is not okay. It just seemed like such a petty thing. It, it's I, so I, petty. It's like and why? It why are you doing it? Brie it would never do it. But Bree's shadow self that Bree has not learned to control yet that is petty and dark and like just like think like you're in like what what is your id want you know like revenge and, you know like the petty crap and you know the sensual stuff um that's that's what her shadow self wanted and she hadn't learned to control that yet so I, i'm absolutely with you 100 not okay <laughs> but I but. did like the fact that she said, oh, actually, I'm going to keep it for next time I need to bargain with a goblin. I was like, okay, so homegirl is resourceful. I do like that. Because a bit, there's one bit earlier in the book where she promises her aunt's little house goblin. She's like, well, I'll give you some of my hair. And he's like, that's not enough. She's like, okay, I'll Rames give you some of Prince Sebastian's. Yeah. So she forethinks that she's going to do that. But yeah. she's doing this. Oh, I'll just have it. Just in case. <laughs> I can't say I wouldn't do it in her position. <laughs> However. I'm not saying it was right. I'm just saying that um, her... I understand. Her, her lesser, petty, very petty... Um... <laughs> I understand. Yeah. But <laughs> at the same time... Yeah. No, fair, fair. Not okay. So they they all sort of go up a mountain for kind of festival that's happening. And on page 283, there is a moment and it's just something. Well, it's the end of the moment. But the whole bit where he washes her feet, oh. that, that did kind of do things to for me, I have to say. It's not overly sexual but it's like the sensual touching se sensual touching and the fact that he's sort of looking at her in that way and it's just such a caring gesture and doing it in front of all those people where it's intimate but it's not and yeah right and I, you know we don't know her true identity yet nobody does but here is Finn who many of these people still see as their king right or there should be king on his knees in front of her washing her feet like there is no other symbol that could show these people that matter so much to him what she means to him more than this 
symbolic moment. And yeah, it's it's a little sensual too. And you know, I dig that. And it's a little bit after this scene where she says that she doesn't want Sebastian. It's like, okay, now, now I believe you. Now I believe that you don't actually want him. And it's good because she can't keep both of them. That's that's never going to work. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I had some requests that I write that kind of book, but um, <laughs> I don't. There's a there's a market for what do they call them? These versions of Carib. But no, uh, that that's not going to work. She can't keep going. She can't keep them both. She needs to choose. And at that point, she needed to to know where her where her heart really was. And um, and she knew. She knew that she didn't want Sebastian. And I think that. I think honestly that she knew before then and she just kind of had to come to terms with it. And then it's just fun. <laughs> Her and Finn from there. I had a lot of fun with that. Well, I think in different circumstances it could have worked, I think. But with their personalities, mm-hmm. like the personalities of the two boys, they were both far too jealous. That yeah. was never going to work. Different circumstances, different different genre. <laughs> I felt so bad for Sebastian because it must be hard. He clearly really, really likes her. I'd say he's in love with her. He's royally screwed up and he knows this. He doesn't really know what to do to make it better. And then he senses through the bond that she has feelings for someone else. And as much as he doesn't really redeem himself for me, it yeah. must be so tough. Yeah, I think so. To feel that happening to be aware of it when you know there's that moment that they're in the lake and they kiss and suddenly she's like ah what is this horrible thing I'm feeling and she's feeling Sebastian through the bond because he realizes what's happening and she's feeling his like oh grief and upset over it and it kind of just stops things dead in their tracks yeah it's gotta be awful one of my friends was like, why are you the way you are? Like, they can't even kiss because this other guy knows because of this bond. Why do you do this? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> but it makes it so much better a bit later on when they can. Before we get on to that, one thing I really liked that you have throughout both books are these stories that it would have been mortals in general, but it seemed like such an important thing to both Brie and Jazz that their mom was telling them all these stories from Fairy. And I loved all these little stories and how they kept sort of coming up and it's it's interesting with the sort of omission of details and the adding of details and how these stories are propaganda and then to kind of right. find out the truth. Well, and also like when you think later. about how much better off, like Brie dismissed them so much as like, whatever fairy tales, whatever I don't need to. And she was so angry with her mom for disappearing into fairy that she didn't even try to remember them, you know? And if she would have, done more to remember them like 
she probably would have been better off having the information, but she just had so much anger that she just dismissed it and didn't even try to hold on to any of it. So yeah, you have like that side of it, like, oh, this would have actually been very useful information to have if had you not like blocked it all out. And you have the distorted information as the story is twisted and given to the mortal realm to turn them, you know, against the Unseelie. And then you have, you know, the story as the Shadow Fae understand it. Um, so yeah, I had a lot of fun with that. Because again, many sides to any story, right? And you do kind of feel a bit bad for, I'm not sure how you pronounce it, Arya? Yeah, Arya. And there's actually a lot more similarities between her and Brie than Brie realised where they'd both been manipulated by a man not telling the truth. Yeah. So, yeah, I feel bad for her and being hurt by Oberon. Yeah. Interesting. She is something else, though. (laughs) I don't know. I mean, she takes it to an extreme. Yeah, for sure. It's like, after that happened, she's just like, right, I choose violence. Just yeah, literally, <laughs> fuck everything. Yeah, All the unseely. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to screw them over. And, oh, you want to pick a mortal woman? Well, I'm going to screw them over too. Yeah, I hate them all. And then her son is like, well, you're too much like your dad. Don't really like you. Yeah, like actually, who do you like apart from yourself? Poor Sebastian. Oh, my heart. Yeah, he did so much to like he cared about like he was trying to play the system. Don't get me wrong. He wanted Brie and his mom's approval, but he was never he was never gonna get his mom's approval. Maybe I do feel a bit bad for him actually. A little bit. I feel, I feel for him. That moment when she basically said, well, I didn't want you around. It's like, oh, ouch. Yeah. I was also really surprised about Rian. Yeah. Loyal to a fault, I suppose. <laughs> but not loyal to Sebastian. But not loyal to who you thought he'd be loyal to. No. That was a shock as well. Well, I think that's kind of part of why I feel so bad for Sebastian. It's because of, like, even this childhood friend, he doesn't have. You know, like, even this person who I feel like he should have at least had his childhood buddy. But ultimately, Rion's loyalty is lied with the the queen, first and foremost. That's all about the queen. That That was a shock. The moment when when things can finally happen between Finn and mm. Bree. That was I felt like we wasted a long time. Yeah. I read so a really long time. they have to be in a place where magic doesn't work, right? Because we need the bond to be silent. And they have this moment, this moment in time where they they get to be together. 
I was glad for that moment. Nice to have a good moment before you get your rug pull. I would say from the moment she probably first liked him, that was maybe what, like, no, probably more, maybe 500 pages, I would say, I guess, of us waiting for something like that to properly happen. Yeah, I'd say... That's a guess. Probably, you know, yeah, like from the moment that the night that they rescued Jalik from the Queen's dungeons and they're sitting outside looking at the stars to them. <laughs> yeah. They suit better than her and Sebastian, though. Some of those little, um, apart from the fact that their power works together, those cute little moments between them. And I like the fact that they had that moment on the balcony where they were looking at the stars and then the moment in the cave where there was a point where there were stars when they were together. He sort of yeah. makes a little joke about it. It's like, oh. <laughs> and I loved I loved so much the the way that it ended. I think you said that in romance, you give people that happy ending. I think you gave us a happy ending with these. Yeah, I, I certainly intended to. There are um, there are more threads to be explored in this world, and I am happy that I get to explore them. More stories to be told. That's always going to be the case for anything I write. I can't, like, I I just. I will always be introducing side characters that have stories, whether I ever write them or not. But I wanted to leave in a place that if we never got to go back to fairy, that readers would feel satisfied. I hope you take us back there. Yeah, I get to. I'm very excited about it. I get to, um, I'm writing a new duology set in the same world. And I'm working on it now, but it won't come out until the first book will come out summer of 2024. So it'll be a little bit of a wait, but I'm, I'm really happy to be writing in this world again and writing a lot about jazz and talk about angry. <laughs> she's, uh, she's got some, oh, anyway, it's going to be fun. I, I am having, I'm having a lot of fun exploring a different, a different, uh, a different way to be angry with the Fae. Because, you know, she's a little, she's a little dark and twisty inside after her uh, weeks in Mortius's dungeon. And, um, you know, she's not, she's not the, the hopeful, starry-eyed little girl that she was, you know, at the beginning of the Apollo Vows. And she's not even the sweet little sister that her sister thinks she is. So it's it's gonna be it's gonna be a, a ride. Right now, of course, things change, you know, as I write, but at the moment the new duology starts three years after the conclusion of these twisted bonds. So uh, I'm really oh, I can't wait. I'm gonna be looking out for that as soon as it comes out because I really want to see what you do with jazz. I hope you love it. <laughs> I'm excited. Can't believe I have to wait that long. Yeah, it'll it'll be a wait. Because, yeah, I'm like, 
writing it now, but you know, publishing's a little a little slow, so that's okay though. It's interesting because I I remember um being so grateful that because of the publishing schedule on these books, I had actually finished writing the second book before uh, book long before book one even came out, like before we really started hearing back from early review readers um, on book one, really. I had finished writing book two and I remember being so grateful for that because that way I didn't, that early response didn't get in my head, you know, because sometimes it gets in your head. And so this is a very different, you know, so now I'm, I'm writing this new, new story in the same world. And, and I have a lot of voices in my head, but like, it's by and large a, been a good thing. It hasn't, sometimes that can kind of mess with me when I have other people's ideas and thoughts and criticism in my mind, but it's by and large been a very positive thing. So I, I'm just excited to go back there and excited to write more fantasy. It's been a really nice addition to my career. I hope I can continue to do both. Well, I'm excited to see what happens as well with the CD Court because things are different there now. Things have been left very different. Yes, in, indeed. <laughs> so that when the truth comes out, that will um, have a ripple effect, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I think so too. But we will see in 2024. I know you might, well, you might be biased and not want to pick because you created them both. But who do you think you would pick out of the two if you had a choice? Finn or Sebastian? Finn or Sebastian? Oh, Finn. Absolutely. Finn. 100%. I feel for Sebastian, but he is. To me, Sebastian has a, he just has a lot of growing up to do. You know, he is very young for a fairy and he just, he just has a lot of growing up to do still. And Jim's a little bit more wise for the world. And um, yeah, he's more my type. <laughs> Poor Sebastian, I know. I, you know, I, I, he had his moments, and I loved him in his moments, but once it was Finn, it was Finn. I feel like I would pick Sebastian, but in my past, I've collected boys with issues, so he'd just be another one for the collection. He appreciates that, I'm sure. <sighs> I've never had a boy with mummy issues, so <laughs> I think well, he could um, he could be that for my collection. Yeah, I was going to say, he could really fill that spot for you. <laughs> It feels like if we were playing male trauma bingo, he definitely took off <laughs> someone's that I didn't have. So, I you know, you're young, you make mistakes. <laughs> then you get older and you make mistakes. So, <laughs> and then I'll be there having that conversation with my friend saying, oh, but he's got some good qualities. And she'd be like, really? Just like you with your friend. <laughs> it would be that same conversation. Yeah. But thank you so much for coming and talking to me. I It was so much fun, Lauren. Thank you. You're welcome. I love these books so much. Like I said to you, I read them both in a day. And I don't know how I did it. 
but I just couldn't put them down. <laughs> I love that. Thank you so much. I can't wait for the next one. And hopefully I'll get a chance to talk to you about that as well in about 18 months or something. Yeah, in a while. <laughs> yes. But that would be really good. It'll It'll be here before we know it. In the meantime, before that happens, where can people find you online to keep up to date with what you're doing? You can always find me on my website, LexiRyan.com, L-E-X-I-R-Y-A-N, or you can follow me on Facebook. Um, it's Facebook.com slash OfferLexiRyan, or on Instagram, my handle is at WriterLexiRyan, just to confuse you. Sorry about the difference there. <laughs> or I'm also on TikTok at WriterLexiRyan, but I'm not... Um, I'm trying to get better about posting on TikTok, but I'm not super consistent over there. But yeah, just uh, hit me up with the email. Find me on my website. You can find a contact form on there if you want to contact me, reach out. I am always happy to hear from people. I will put all of that in our episode description so that people have that information so they can find you easily. Thank you. And yeah, just thank you so much. And I'll be counting down the days till summer. 2024. Awesome. Well, thank you. I really appreciate your time today. Thanks for hanging out with us today. And again, special thanks to Lexi. Follow us on Instagram at Olympus-based content coming out for you this year. Also check out our website at www.demythpod.co.uk. I've been Lauren. And today, I've been stealing fairy hearts and turning pages with Lexi Ryan.